Good morning once again. Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church online, cbcfamily.church. We are so glad that you are watching with us, whether it's live or if you're watching a replay back later on. I'm so thankful that you're with us. This is week three of our series, At Your Service, and I'm super excited about this. Um, this week, um, we're going to continue on. Last week, we talked about confidence. Last week, we talked about confidence. And we said in 1 John chapter 4, um, verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. And we ended up, we started with confidence and we ended up getting to confession. Confession. And I ended the week last week by saying that we need to confess that Jesus is the Son of God and then ask him to come into our hearts and forgive us. And I hope you really did that. I really hope that you made a decision for Christ last week. And this week we're going to pick up where we left off. And we said that confession is how new life begins. That new life starts with confession. A lot of Christians understand this. That to move from an unhealthy spirit to a healthy spirit, you have to have confession. That's the first step. To move from an unhealthy spirit to a healthy spirit, we have to have confession. And your spirit cannot be made healthy without confession. You can only be spiritually dead or spiritually unhealthy without confession. So if you don't confess, you're going to be spiritually unhealthy. Are you with me? Uh, if you're a Christian, you're probably like, yes, I get this. This is really basic stuff. This is super uh, simple. Um, we know this, Pastor Ron. Um, and maybe you're praying that your friend, your pagan friend, would accept Christ, uh, the person who would never come into a church, you know, because they're afraid the, the walls would burn down or something. You're, you're praying that they would confess and accept Christ. And I am too. That's so, something that I want. But if confession is so great, and I believe it is, then when was the last time that you confessed? When was the last time that you confessed? And you might be thinking, well, wait, what? What? What do you mean? I'm a Christian. You know, in, in 1962, I confessed Jesus as my Lord, and he changed me. And that was my confession. So what, what more do I need to confess? Well, what about the last 58 years? What about the next 20 years, or two years, or what about the last two months, or the last two weeks? Did you confess that? And maybe you're thinking, well, pastor, we're, we're Baptists, and I was under the impression we only had to do this confession thing once. Or maybe you're Catholic, or like recovering Catholic, or, um, you know, I don't know what you want to label yourself, but maybe when I say the word confession, you get some feelings, some like, oh, I knew it, I'm sort of in it, confession, I knew it, I thought this was different, but here we go again this like weight of uh, shame or guilt about not going to confession. And that's not what I'm talking about at all. That's not the kind of confession that I'm talking about. The kind of confession that I'm talking about is, well, like we said, the first step to becoming a follower of Jesus and to ask for forgiveness. And what we do is God breathes life into us. We become a new creature in Christ and God reestablishes our relationship with God but then, just like 1 John 4 says, 
Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We confess that Jesus is the Son of God. What does that mean? What does that mean? Last week we talked about this and I encourage you to confess your confidence in Christ. To confess that Jesus is the Son of God. But it's not just confessing that you believe that Jesus is God's Son. Confession is more than that. Um, How many of you have siblings? There's nobody actually here, but you're online, and so I'm just imagining you're raising your hand in your living room. But how many of you have siblings? Um, If you have siblings, you have a brother or sister, then you know, um, as I do, I have two sisters, and I had an older sister, and when my mom and dad would leave the house, then they would put the older sister in charge. Now, of course, she had no qualifications other than being three years older than me, and um, mean, I guess, uh, if she's watching, sorry, Joy, uh, the, I just, <laughs> I forgot, we're streaming this. Um, anyways, I have a great older sister, she's not mean at all, please don't hurt me. Uh, but when, when mom and dad would leave, they would leave Joy in charge, and then, of course, Joy would tell us to do something, because what good is power if you don't get to actually use your power? So Joy would tell us to do something, and then myself and my sister Mary would invariably say some form of, you're not the boss of me. You're not mom. You're not my mom. You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. Anybody, you guys know what I'm talking about? You know this. Um, if you, kids, I'm sure you've said, you're not the boss of me. You can't make me do that. And what you're saying is, I denounce your authority. I don't believe in your authority. Just because you're put in charge doesn't mean I'm actually going to do what you say. Some of you are treating the, uh, you know, the governor this way. I think that's a bad idea. You should stay home. You should wash your hands. Practice social distancing. But some of you treat Jesus this way. And you believe that he is the son of God. You believe that he has good things for you. When my sister would make lunch for us and breakfast for us, I certainly partook of that. And I was happy to have food. I don't know if I thanked her or not. But I was happy to have her feed me. I was happy to have her care for me in those moments, but then when she wanted me to clean up or do something else, all of a sudden it was, you're not the boss of me. And some of us treat Christ like that. Some Christians treat Christ like that. You're not the boss of me. Adults, we don't say that in exactly the same way. We generally say something like, that's not my job, or it's not in my job description, um, you know, or, or you're not my boss. Uh, but this confession, this confession that we're talking about in 1 John chapter 4, verse 15, is a confession that says, Jesus, you are the boss of me. Jesus, you are the boss of me. I confess you are the boss. And look at the result. When we confess that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is the boss, then this is the result. Verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Through confessing Jesus is the boss, we have come to know something. We've come to know something. And that something is that God is love. And that God has love for us. And that God is working to be loving toward us. You can't determine if someone is a good boss unless you let them boss. Unless you listen to what they say. That's exactly what the author is saying in verse 16. And it's very, very important, this next part. Look at this next part. 
And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So whoever abides in love abides in God. But what love? What love are they supposed to abide in? Well, God's love, Pastor Ron. It says, you know, God is love, so we're abiding in God's love. But exactly what experience of God's love? What experience of God's love are we supposed to? It's right there, the experience from verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love, the love that we discover by confessing Jesus is the boss, by making him the boss of our life, by following him as the boss, we discover that he loves us because he's such a great boss, and the things he commands us to do are good and loving for us. Then we abide in God's love. God abides in us. The experience that comes from confessing Jesus is the boss of me. See, it's all interconnected. When you confess Jesus is the boss of you and act accordingly, you discover Jesus' bossiness is loving, which makes you want to stay in the bossiness of Jesus because you have come to realize this is where love is. And doing what Jesus says will make you do more of what Jesus says because you'll discover doing what Jesus says is good. And if doing what Jesus says doesn't make you want to be more loving, doesn't make you want to do more of what Jesus says, then you're probably not doing what Jesus says. You're probably doing what someone told you Jesus says. Or what you heard Jesus, that you thought Jesus said, but maybe you haven't verified and checked it out for yourself. If you do what Jesus says, it will result in discovering the love of God. And by this process, love is perfected and we gain confidence. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. So by this love, by this process of discovering love, by allowing Jesus to tell us what to do and doing what Jesus says, that we have confidence. We have confidence. Confidence before God. We have confidence when we stand before God, not because we have an in with God and because we think that God's gonna just like uh, let us off the hook, but, and that's, that's part of the gospel, but that's not the part of the confidence that it's talking about in verse 17. The confidence that we have in Christ is that we have come to recognize that we behave as Jesus does in the world. We come to recognize that our behavior is like Jesus' behavior, and we like it. And so then when we stand before him on judgment day, we realize, I want what you want. You, you want what I want. My wants, my thoughts are, have become aligned to who you are and what you want, to your kingdom. That's what the kingdom of God is, embracing the bossiness of Jesus. And so when we stand before him in confidence, we're confident because not only do we want what Jesus wants, we want to be transformed like Christ 
has been leading us and already transforming us, we're excited for this last step. Because now we're going to have this, this moment, this ability, this is like the final thing where God's going to give us this power to finally be transformed and his love completely perfected in us and become like Christ in our character and in our, in our inner qualities. So when we stand before Christ, we're excited to complete our training in this way of life. And that's why we're confident. So it turns out confession and confidence are really closely related. When we confess Jesus as boss, the result is we become more like Christ and grow in confidence. So do you currently feel confident that you live your current life like Jesus, perfected in love? That you do what Jesus would do? Do you feel confident of that? That you treat others with love? If you're not practically perfect, then guess what? You have some confessing to do. You have some confessing to do. So great. Let's all take some time, come to the altar, figuratively, because you can't really, you know, you could go find a closet, a quiet space, and confess your faults to God in quiet where nobody hears about it and nobody would find out because, you know, that seems to be the general Christian way that a lot of people do confession. They just go hide and confess and hopefully it just goes away. We just try harder and then it goes away. You know, dear God, I know I'm not perfect. Please forgive me for not being perfect. Amen. Is that what that looks like? No, not at all. In James chapter 5, verse uh, 16, it says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Confess your faults in secret where nobody will hear and you'll grow in your faith. Is that what it says? Not at all. You will be healed of your mistakes and weaknesses by secretly confess. No, not at all. In fact, we're supposed to confess our faults one to another. Confess your faults one to another and pray for another that you may be healed. See, confession is about admitting we're wrong and that we're not the boss and letting others know that we're sorry for what we have done. If you have offended God, then you confess to God. But if you have offended your brother or your sister, then you need to confess to them. Each time you do something to someone or become aware that you have done something to someone, then you should go confess to that person and seek forgiveness. And if they don't forgive, that's on them, provided you've done all you can, but you should confess. You should seek forgiveness. So, I'm going to wrap things up here, but I want to give you a little primer on how to confess, and then we'll have some homework. Okay, how to confess in four easy steps of confession. Number one, confess what you did was wrong. I was wrong. I messed up. I was wrong wrong. Confess what you did was wrong. Not, oh, I didn't really mean it, and you know, 
uh, I'm sorry you felt that way. I'm sorry you took it that way. Um, you know, I, it was an accident. No, what I did was not okay. I was wrong. That's step number one. I was wrong. What I did was not okay. Confess that. Number two, confess what you did was hurtful. This is hard. This validates the feelings of the other person. This validates the feelings that say um, that I did something that hurt someone else. And again, it's not okay to say, I'm sorry that you felt that way. <laughs> that's, not, that's a non-apology. Confession is, what I did was hurtful. What I did was wrong, it wasn't okay. What I did was hurtful. It's acknowledging and validating the feelings of the other person. Number three, say you're sorry. Say, I'm sorry. What I did was wrong, it was hurtful, and I'm sorry. And then finally, number four, ask for forgiveness. A lot of people skip this step. A lot of people forget to ask for forgiveness. They'll, they might even say, I was wrong, you know, and I know I hurt you, and I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. And then they just let it go. They don't do the last step and say, Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me is super vulnerable because it's, it's putting yourself in a place. You're putting yourself at the mercy of the other person. You're opening yourself up. You've, you've left yourself wide open with no defensiveness, no uh, you know, um, couching things or, or putting things or trying to, to soften the blow. And you're saying, I was wrong. What I did was hurtful. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And they just wait. And if they say yes, that's great. Now you can potentially rebuild a relationship. Hopefully you can. If these are small things, if they're little things, then you can quickly rebuild a relationship. But if you avoid these things, if you don't confess, then you won't grow spiritually. This is a regular part of a Christian's life. This confession piece is a regular part of a Christian's life. We have to confess. And when we confess, then we can grow. So, this is how confession works. Confession is tied to confidence. If you worry that you have, then you probably have confession to do. If you have anxiety, then you have confession to do. If you want to experience more of God and more of God's love, then you have confession to do. Unless you're completely perfect, you have confession to do. So, this is our homework. This week, I want you to confess. I want you to, to figure out what, what you've done when you notice things that you've done or someone tells you that you've done something. I want you to confess. I want you to say, I was wrong. What I did was hurtful. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? I want you to practice that. And if you're like, well, Pastor Ron, what if, what if I don't do anything I need to confess for? That you need to go to everybody that cares about you and that you care about and confess your pride. Because you, have, you probably have all kinds of pride if you don't think you need to confess. Because unless you're perfect, there's something still that needs to grow and to change. Unless you're perfectly following all of Christ's commandments and teaching with loving your neighbor as yourself, then you have something to confess. And this confession process is part of following Christ and growing in Christ. All right, that's your homework. Let's pray. 
Dear Jesus, I thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your son uh, who died on the cross. Please forgive us where we fail. God, help us to confess this week to our brothers and sisters when we offend them, when we're unkind, when we're wrong. Help us to confess. Help us to learn what that feels like to confess and to abide in your love because we are following you. We trust you. Help us as we're, we're in closer quarters with family and, and the people we care about. Help us to practice this and exercise this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Each week we take up an offering. If you're joining us on the live stream and just visiting, um, thank you so much for joining the live stream. Give us a, a like or a thumbs up. We really appreciate that from you. But if this is your home church, this is your opportunity to give. So you can either text an amount to 84321. You can click the Give button on this page here. Um, if you're watching on Facebook, then you can go to cbcfamily.church and click Give. Um, thank you so much. Uh, let me pray for the offering, and then we'll be done. Dear God, we thank you for who you are. Please receive this offering as we give this morning. Um, receive our tithes and offerings to help broken people find hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless. I love you guys. I'm praying for you. And we'll see you back next week.